Hi, this is Alan Chartok. Delighted to be in conversation today with Eugene, likes to be called Gene Carr, the festival director of Bircher Busk, a new 10-weekend summer street music and arts festival in Great Barrington, Massachusetts, starting July 2nd and going every Friday and Saturday night until Labor Day weekend. You can learn more at www.berkshirebusk, that's one word, berkshirebusk.com. Welcome, Gene Carr. Thanks so much for having me. Well, we're delighted to have you. As everybody knows, I'm very proud of my little town of Great Barrington. I was quoted in Smithsonian Magazine as saying, they were quoted as saying, it is the best small town in America. And it is, despite the fact that it has Route 7, a major road running right through the middle of it. Anyway, let me tell you a little bit, everybody, about Gene Carr, co-founder and former CEO of Patron Technology and PatronManager.com, and co-founder of ALO.ai. He lives in Great Barrington and is an entrepreneur who's been a visionary in bringing Internet-based technology solutions to arts and cultural organizations since the early days of the consumer web. Carr's first technology company in 1995 was the groundbreaking National Arts Listing and Online Ticketing site, CultureFinder.com, funded by AOL and Comcast Ventures. Carr began his career in arts management and event production, serving as the executive director of the American Symphony Orchestra and Concordia Orchestra, where he produced hundreds of concerts at venues in New York City, primarily at Carnegie Hall and Lincoln Center. Carr earned degrees in cello performance at the Oberlin Conservatory and history from Oberlin College, received an MBA from Columbia Business School. He's the co-chairman of Launch U, an Oberlin alumni-led entrepreneurial program which he has mentored young entrepreneurs from around the world. He has written several books and is co-author of Breaking the Fifth Wall, Rethinking Arts Management for the 21st Century. Gene Carr, let's start with who you are. I mean, it's an interesting project, and I love it, but let's start with who you are. What's your earliest memory? Do you remember being in the crib? No, I don't remember being in the crib, but I grew up in a family in which my father was an engineer and had his own company. He was in heating and air conditioning. My mother did public relations for art museums. So I had one strand of business and engineering and one strand of arts flowing through. I decided to take a left turn and play the cello. Were you any good? Well, I was good enough that in high school, I studied at the Juilliard High School program. They call it pre-college. Yeah. And so I got very interested in professional cello, and then I went to Oberlin Conservatory. My vision was, I'm going to be a cellist. Uh-huh. What happened was that Oberlin became a, a wonderful entrepreneurial playground where I managed to start all sorts of projects, including organizing a piano, violin, and cello trio that I booked in tours all over the country. Really? And, and, and you were the cellist? I was the cellist, and it was a violin, cello, and piano trio. And we played, I don't know, 125 concerts in 25 states. We were representing the school. School was delighted because we got publicity. We also did recruiting concerts at high schools in the morning. And so we played for high school kids. It was just one of many things I did at Oberlin. But it was a small enough school that I could flex some entrepreneurial muscles. And so when I got out of Oberlin, I sort of had the music part and I had the entrepreneurial part. And that's kind of been the roadmap for my career. What you've done. So let me start by asking you the question you must get all the time as somebody who lives in the Berkshires and tells us that you play the cello. Do you know the question? No. Do you know Yo-Yo and have you ever met him? Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I guess I should have anticipated. So as it turns out, the cello studio that I was in in high school was very much associated with Yo-Yo's class. So I knew he was always the really good cellist two years older than me. Really? Yeah. And when I was applying to college, my cello teacher said, look, there's this cellist up at Harvard. If you're thinking about going to schools and you're touring around, you ought to call him up. Gave me Yo-Yo's phone number. I met him at Harvard. We had lunch. He and I have intersected a couple of times in our careers. When I ran the American Symphony, he came and played for us once. So, you know, I've had minor interactions, but I definitely know him from my childhood because he was always that really good cellist that's going to be famous someday. He certainly was that. And every time I see him, he says, I Publius, that's the name of my column. 
He thinks that's funny. So let me ask you this. So you have this cello thing. You have this entrepreneurial thing. Can you remember back to your original years Okay. when that showed, when you were 10 years old? I mean, when I was 10, I was very serious as a musician. When you're that age and you're interested in music, I played in string quartets. I played in high school orchestra, and I was very focused, just like kids that are involved in sports, you know, gymnastics or baseball. I was very much single-mindedly focused on playing the cello. I practiced hours and hours every single day. It was, Did your parents ever tell you to stop? No. In fact, one of the great things that I credit my parents for is that they were the opposite of stage parents. They didn't say a word. They came to my concerts. They smiled. They applauded. They came backstage. But they never once said, you're practicing too much or you're practicing too little. They really just sort of let me go. I think I watched a lot of other kids who were under the watchful eye of their parents who felt that pressure. And those kids, it didn't work for them because suddenly they were were masters of two. They were trying to satisfy themselves and they were trying to satisfy their parents. Mm -hmm. I never had that. And where did you live? So I grew up on Long Island. In uh, which town? in, In the town of Rockville Center on the South Shore. I know it. My dad commuted into the city every day running his business. But when I was in high school, I took the train with my cello and I took the subway with my cello into Juilliard back and forth every weekend for years. And you never left it in a taxi cab? No, no. I I will say that I, I had many recurring nightmare dreams. I think many cellists have this dream where I get on the subway and I leave the cello on the platform. Sure. That recurring nightmare I have. It's happened. Believe me, it's happened. Okay, so let's go on here because it's it's a really interesting sort of background to understand what you're doing here in our little town of Great Barrington. So did your mother call you Eugene or did she call you Jean? Mm -hmm. My mother called me Jean, but when I was a kid, I'm sure everybody that has my name knows that when you're in high school, Jean is a girl's name. Oh, interesting. So I was Eugene until I got to college. Uh Uh-huh. And have you ever had to make that plain to people? Do you want to be called one way as opposed to your formal name? Yeah, I mean, I I respond to both, but I definitely remember being afraid in my teen years to introduce myself as Gene because that was just not done. Okay, so let's go to Busker. Roselle and I go down the street, and if we see somebody playing an instrument, we put a dollar in. We think it's the right thing to do. Where did this idea of yours come from, and why don't you explain what it is? Sure. So it started because last summer, during the pandemic, as you well know, the town of Great Barrington, in a very clever move, shut down Railroad Street. And Richard Stanley, who runs the triplex, allowed for a dining area in the back. And there was bands that played on Friday and Saturday night. And I was fortunate enough to sit in with a band called First Take. And Marianne Palermo, the lead singer, asked me if I wanted to sit in and play my electric cello. And so I had opportunities last summer to play. And what I witnessed as a player was a real transformation of the town at night. It was, the sun was going down. It was one of these beautiful Berkshire evenings. People were sitting around eating and walking. And suddenly the town had a vibe that was different than it would have without that kind of music. And I thought, how glorious. I mean, I've heard you on the radio many times about how Great Barrington is a really special place. And I sat there playing, looking out on this thinking, this is the greatest place in the world. And then I started talking with two people in particular. One is Lee Davis, who lives around the corners on the select board. So I went to Lee and I said, you know, I have this wacky idea. What if we take this little music thing next summer and turn it into a big festival so that we can most importantly, help the stores and the restaurants make sure they're filled. It's sort of an economic development activity. Let's do a big festival. We'll create community. We didn't know when we started it whether we'd be masked or not masked. It's going to be outdoors. We knew that you could be outdoors with masks. Why not really build this and why not create a new must-do Berkshire activity for the summer? You know, you go here to the Berkshires and you go to Tangor to Jacob's Pillow or the Mount or Climb Monument Mountain. Now I want everybody to say, you got to come to Great Barrington on a Friday or Saturday night. Lee said, great idea. Go do it. I went to see Mark Pruenskis, the town manager, expecting that I would get the normal kind of bureaucratic pushback. He's a terrific guy. Mark said, Gene, just go do it. Just go do it. And so I thought, wow, this is an environment that sort of welcomes innovation, 
welcomes creativity. Let's go try. And what I did was I said, look, I'm going to reach out to, how are we going to fund this? The town already had passed its budget for the year. There was no money coming from the town. So they said, look, go talk to sponsors. I'm familiar with the sponsorship thing from my career. And so see if there's some companies that are willing to fund it. And I went around and I got some very, very quick sponsors. This is at the end of December, early January. And I got some very quick support right away. And I thought, oh, okay, this is going to work. Were you asking for a lot of money or a little money? Can you uh, give yeah. us a how much? Yeah. So the largest donation is a $10,000 donation. And I have donations all the way down to $500. Who gave you 10 grand? So I have four what we call gold sponsors. And that's the Calix Dispensary on Main Street. That's a marijuana joint? Correct. Yes. Warrior Trading. They have an office also right off Railroad Street. Berkshire Money Management. And also a brand new wine store that's not even open yet called Depar Wine. Yeah, I see it. All those four stepped up nearly immediately. And, you know, most of them are relatively new to town. And I said to them, listen, this would be a great way to show your support of this town. And when I got all of those on board, I thought, okay, this is going to go. And then, of course, I've been raising money for months and months. And the outpouring has been really strong. People have been very, very supportive. So it's really an economic development activity, plus an arts event, plus a cultural community event. And of course, the real surprise was I had an idea that there are a lot of people that play music and are creative. But we put out the ask in March and said, come to our website and apply. We spent zero dollars on advertising. We just put some posters up and on social media. We've, as of today, we had 115 different groups apply. So now you have the right to say no, right? We have the right to say no. Have you said no? I'm pleased to say that we are almost in no cases said no. The amount of talent in our world now, 75% of the applicants come from Massachusetts, another 15% from New York, we have some Connecticut, some Vermont, and then a group applied from Virginia. Wow. So these are going to be buskers, right? Correct. These are going to be people who are standing on the street, right. either playing bluegrass or playing classical music or doing any of that stuff. We've got jazz, blues, hip-hop, funk. I've got a Brazilian samba band. I have a group that does yodeling from the Balkans. I mean, it is a wide, wide variety. And also... We've got dance. So Berkshire Pulse is going to do one night. They're going to bring some dancers. The Berkshire Theater Group is going to do scenes from Oklahoma. Really? Yes. We, That's we, great. My we have, favorite. We also have a living statue. Have you ever seen these? Yeah, sure. So we have a, a living statue. We have a performance artist. So I tried to make this as broad as we could around the arts. Now, they have to be spaced out, right? Yes. You don't want them interfering with each other. We're going to go from, if you know the town of Great Barrington, all the way from the Flying Church, all the way to St. James Place, up and down. And they'll be spaced. I'm sure that some sound will bleed over, but you'll be able to basically walk from one end of town to the other, like you're at a museum, only it's sort of a sound museum. You go and you listen, you walk over and you listen and bring a few dollars so that you could put it in the tip jar. I was down in North Carolina with Roselle one time, and there in this town, they had people doing all these things. There was one I'll never forget, which were, they had wooden clogs on, and they were clog dancing. Um, ah, on, yeah, you so, got that too. No, no, but we have an Irish dance troupe. Oh, that's great. I mean, I have been astounded. You asked about, have we turned anybody down? Actually, I'll go the other direction. The outpouring of really high-quality, professional-grade performers has been incredible. We have an American Idol finalist. We have recording artists. People want to get out and play. And people who otherwise would ask for big fees, they're like, I just want to come and participate. Okay, now you've mentioned something that was interesting. I was at a party the other night, and somebody had a little angst about your operation and said, they don't pay enough. Now, what do you pay? Yeah. So I'll start by saying that when we started this, bus busking as a thing, worldwide phenomenon, is about putting a tip jar out. You, you as a performer, agree to show up, and you take your chances, and you right. go in the street corner. Midway through the fundraising, I thought, boy, it's going well enough that I think we can raise enough money to pay the buskers a little bit. So each group get $75 just for showing up. And because we're in the Berkshires and because it rains, as we know, if it gets rained out and you've been rehearsing for a couple of weeks and you're ready to go and you get completely rained out and we can't reschedule, you're going to get your $75 anyway. Right. Now, from the time I was in high school through graduate school, I played in a band. Okay. 
It was called the Satellites for Music Out of This World. Little hokey, but it was there. Yeah. The piano player was much better than everybody else. He was terrific. Yeah. At one point, years later, we had a reunion, and there was the piano player, and he said, I don't know if I can come. My girlfriend is performing okay. that night. And I said, well, where is she performing? And he said, uh, she's performing in the subway. I said, well, what is she doing in the subway? He said, well, you know, she's a singer and she's performing on the platform. And then because I'm a jerk, I said to him, uptown or downtown? <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, and 72nd Street. Huh? Point being that busking is becoming quite the thing now and people do it. Now, you mentioned money and people putting money into the jar. Yeah. Despite the $75, did they get to put the jar out also? Of course, also? absolutely. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And now, you know, you can donate to people with digital. So there's some people that will have a QR code, and you can just use your phone and you're know, using Venmo or some of these online services. So you don't actually have to put a physical dollar. You can actually just essentially give them a dollar through your phone. Oh, interesting, interesting. So it's going well right now. I mean, listen, my fingers are crossed. We are scheduling the groups. We are praying to the rain gods that we have good, reasonably dry weekends on the summer. And so, yeah, I think things are going well. I'm, I'm putting together a team. I have a wonderful team of young people who are helping. I've got recent college grads. We have a high school student that's working with me. We're, we're looking for a videographer because we'd like to do live streaming oh, bet you would. from the yeah. street. That's great. And so we're going to really heavy social media. We have an Instagram site. If you look for Berkshire Busk on Instagram, we're posting every single day. We're going to highlight the groups so you'll get to know them in advance. And spelled Berkshire Busk. Yes, it's Berkshire, which we know, B-E-R-K-S-H-I-R-E-B-U-S-K. -E yeah, Busk. that's why I had you do it. Berkshire Busk. What I've learned, I tell you what, back in, in January, when and part of the origin of this project is that I was fortunate enough to get two Oberlin College interns who were remote interns because Oberlin had some of their students at home. And Oberlin thought, gee, in addition to their learning, why don't we create internships? So I had two students working for me January, February, and March, helping me get things going. And I asked one of them to look at 100 busking websites around the world. Wait, there are 100 around the world? Yes. Come to think of it, there's way more than 100. It turns out that busking is a really, really big deal in Europe and even bigger in Australia. So we looked at all these sites, we picked out the 50 top ones, and then we wrote to a bunch of them and said, would you do a phone call with us? Because we're putting on this festival, we don't know what we're doing. We want your advice. So we talked to the people that run busking festivals and Halifax, Nova Scotia, Fremantle, Australia, in Lawrence, Kansas. We talked to the Orlando Fringe Festival, the Galway Festival. We talked to people all over the world. It could not have been a more enjoyable. Those calls, we recorded all of them and we're gonna put them on our website. These folks could not have been more enjoyable to talk to, gave us great advice, but the world of busking really is, in my view, underdeveloped in the United States relative to where it is in the rest of the world. Where are the other great busking sites in the United States? Yeah, so so close to us, up in Burlington, Yeah, right? That is a wonderful venue. Very progressive. Very, Bernie very, Sanders and all. Yeah. Down in Florida, in Key West, yeah. they've got busking like crazy. There's a busking festival in Denver that is a little different than ours. I think theirs lasts maybe a weekend or two weekends. I'm not sure. And then in Detroit, they've got a really interesting program of arts and busking in Detroit. We talked to the folks in Detroit who put on that festival. So there are pockets. And then, of course, there are some towns in America who live and breathe live music. New Orleans, Nashville, of course. that kind of thing. So we have a little bit of it, but we're trying an experiment here. And really, you know, my vision is to prove to ourselves and to the world that we can really transform our town. And then from there, we'll see... We'll see where it goes. Well, you say transform your town. Transform it into what? Transform in the summer on weekends. Yes. Transform it into a place that people say, when I come to the Berkshires, one of the things I've got to do is come downtown on a Friday or Saturday night and experience Great Barrington. Well, they ought to make you the honorary chairman, at least of the Chamber of Commerce. Okay. Are they listening? Ask them. <laughs> <laughs> but then, of course, things go wrong sometimes. What are you worried about that might go wrong? 
Sure. There's a couple of things that are obvious. One is people don't show up. Groups agree to perform and, you know, at the last minute they don't come. Oh, We're, I see. The groups don't the come, groups not come. the people yet. Well, we'll get to the people in a second, but the groups... Now, the fact is we're going to have somewhere between eight and 10 simultaneous performances every week, every night. So if a group here or a group there doesn't come. Not the end of the world. Not the end of the world. Don't know about the public. Don't know how many people are going to come. Is there going to be traffic? There's always traffic in the Berkshires where I am now talking with lots of the folks that have private parking lots about having the ability to use their parking lots. The Iredale company has already agreed to let us for overflow parking, and I'm talking with a couple of others. So we're kind of trying to mitigate that. You know, beyond that, it's the weather. Those are my biggest Always oh, is, yeah. Now, we have a lot of great culture in the Berkshires. Of course, we have Tanglewood, yep. which it looks like it's going to go full force again. Yep. And and we have Jacob's Pillow and the rest. Yep. Have you had the chutzpah to talk with them and see how they can help you or vice versa? I'll say that I've reached out in many cases. <laughs> yeah. These organizations, the big ones, yes. particularly the ones that you've named. Look, I used to be in the business. I used to run a nonprofit cultural organization. They were under such unbelievable stress this past winter oh. that talking to me about a street festival in the summer was the last thing. So I know the folks at Tanglewood quite well. They are very aware of what, what we're doing. And, you know, I'm sure as the summer goes on, we'll cross-promote each other. But I reached out to everyone that is a Berkshire Music School. I've, I've really reached out to as many groups in the area as I could to try to let them know and also ask them to get people to apply. So one of the things you have to worry about, I'm not your advisor, but I'm sure you know this, yeah. is that some people will have better spots than others. So we'll, there'll be a competition for the good spots. How do you handle that? Okay, I can hide behind the... <laughs> <laughs> so until we run this event for the first week, nobody knows where the good spots are. So right now, I'm going to tell you all spots are equal. No, they're not, because anybody who's been in Great Barrington knows that the Greenwich Village of Great Barrington is Railroad Street. Yes. <laughs> now, Railroad Street's going to have music. Those people are dining, and they'll have their music. And then, you know, the good news is that the town, and I can't say this enough, like the town and the select board have been extraordinarily supportive and extraordinarily flexible. And so, for instance, if we find a location that's Siberia that nobody's going to go to, we're not going to use that the next week. We'll move things around, you know. Sure. We're, we're, and we also need to figure out about the spacing because we know the good news is we know how many people play in each group and we know how far away. So I was we have a really wonderful here in Great Barrington, something called the Berkshire Batteria. Oh, I know it well. Okay. They're so drum they're, players and they're very, very, very loud. Yes. have a conversation with them about where we're going to have them. And where are you going to have them? Well, I think they're going to be at the north end of town so that people will know to kind of migrate up north and then down. So probably around the Flying Church area. Okay. Now I'll give you another nightmarish situation. Oh and my that, okay. And that is, all right, now you got a sedate restaurant that caters to the high end and you want to put either the Berkshire Battery or something like it or... Yep. A bluegrass band in yep. there. They don't want that. They want to tell you what they want. So we're we're being very careful. The performers are not going to be right in front of the restaurant. So we won't, except on Railroad Street, where they're all going to be outside on the street. All the other locations are really not not in front. But I'll I'll say that for instance, one of our great supporters and helpers is Robin Helfand from Robin's Candy. I know her. And Robin came to me and she said, "I want a busker out front of my candy store all well, the time." Of course she does. So I've gotten, rather than people that say, we don't want this, I've yeah. actually had people come to me and say, we actually do sure. want it. So I've done a lot of startups. We haven't even talked about the last 15 years of my career. I ran really three tech companies. And what I've learned from being an entrepreneur and also being in tech is this notion of iteration, this notion of being flexible, trying things and being able to very quickly solve your problems and fix them. Yeah. We'll never know what's going to work exactly. We hope that people are are forgiving if things don't work perfectly. 
and then you know we'll we'll iron out the rough edges as we go. Interesting, very interesting. There is, of course, a gazebo mm -hmm. in town opposite yep. a restaurant yep. and the Mahewi Theater. Yep. And uh, Mahewi will be reopening post-pandemic, I'm yep. sure. Yep. And that gazebo might be a choice place for somebody to be, except that it might bleed into the Mahewi Theater or into a restaurant. Yeah, so the town itself for many, many, many years has had concerts at the gazebo. Indeed. And they're going to continue. And those concerts, those go until about 7 or 7.30. Yeah. I'm talking with the town about using the gazebo area on Saturday nights. And if the Mahewi has something going, you know, their events generally start at 8. So we'll, we'll be good neighbors. Right. That's a good thing to say. We'll be good neighbors until somebody decides you're not good neighbors. Okay, Gene Carr, why don't you tell us about some of the acts that you've already got going? Sure. So I'm going to pull a couple of different things out. So we've got a violinist whose name is Adnan Stumo. He is a professional busker. He's a young man. He's in Europe right now. And he plays a violin where he uses a pedal that records himself and he layers his performances. So if you stand and watch him for five minutes, it'll suddenly sound like 10 violinists playing together. It's a really extraordinary kind of thing. We have an American Idol finalist, Aaron Fury, and we've got the Bateria, as I said. We've got a duo called Tanta Fredel. Jumping in and over bottles, the fiddler's dreams huddle as the sky lashes out in a storm. And they look and they wonder in the rain and the thunder while smiling and singing the song. Yes, I'm playing my Yamoshke loud enough for all to hear. Well, it's a pity that a birthday comes but once He's from Hudson. She's from Berlin. They live in Germany. They do Balkan music, European music, and yodeling. Coincidentally, he wrote and said, I'm visiting my family on the July 4th weekend. The gentleman from Hudson, he said, I'm going to be here in the area. Could we perform? So they're going to be with us on the very first weekend. Now, does everybody get to play every night? You... No, no. no. Okay. So most groups have between one and two performances during the summer. Now, we've only booked, as I speak to you today, we've set the first five weekends. So July is set. August, we're going to wait a little while because applications are still coming in. So many groups will end up over the summer having an opportunity to play two or three times. But to give you some sense, we asked the groups how many nights might they be available. And I have, if I could fill them, I have over a thousand available performer nights. Well, so we've got no problem filling, but every single night is going to be different. Are you going to have evaluations of any kind? In other words, will you evaluate in terms of their coming back or will you hand out forms? Yeah, it's a great question. Part of the answer, obviously, we're going to walk around and pay attention and see what the crowd reaction is. We're going to do some surveying on the street because we want to know what the impact is. Are people enjoying the event? That's less about individual performers than it is about how do you like Berkshire Busk and all that kind of thing. The answer about some kind of a fan favorite or some kind of voting, haven't figured that out yet. But if anybody listening has a brilliant idea about how to do that, let me know. What's the downside to getting people to evaluate or choosing winners or yeah. losers? So I think that there is, and as a musician myself, you know, there is a downside to rating performances because what you and I think is fabulous, somebody else might think is terrible. Yeah. And you end up having, you know, it goes to the mean, right? You end up with, oh, of course, there's going to be a cover band that everybody's going to like because they're going to do... Rocky so, Mountain High. Yeah. So, look, I will say as, as the director of the festival, I'll never program based on only fan favorites. Obviously, if a group doesn't really cut it, we'll know. But my guess is there's going to be something for everyone. And unlike a concert where you buy a seat and you're in a fixed location for two hours. Yeah, you walk. You walk around. And so if you don't like that group, you go to this next group, you come back to that group. So I think this whole favorite thing, really, it's in the beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Now, what about mothers and fathers? Obviously, they are very concerned with their children and how well they're doing. And I've seen them out there in busker situations before. And they can get rather possessive and kind of angry if somebody's talking too loud. 
I'm pleased to say that there's at least one or two high school kids who are performing, yeah. and they're going to bring their friends, hopefully, to Natalie Lewis is a guitar player who sure. goes to Monument Mountain, and she's going to perform on the first weekend, and hopefully she's going to bring her friends. We have a couple of other kids who are under 18 whose parents are going to come, and as long as you bring up parents, it is as yet unplanned, but there's going to be an event in August specifically for kids. There's a gentleman in town, Roger the Jester, who for years... Known well. Yeah. yeah. So he's going to do something. We're going to have some drum circles as well. Stay tuned. Look on our website. It's in the planning stage. Okay. Let's go back and talk about some of the other individuals who are going to be playing. Sure. So Michael Junkins is a very, very fine jazz performer, and he lives here in the area. He's going to bring his group... Palermo sings all over town. In fact, it was with her group that I played and I sometimes still play. She's got a band called First Take. It's not fair that your eyes look into mine. It sets off a chain reaction. My heart starts beating double time. It's a fatal attraction You've got me started You've got me started And I've got a woman, her group goes by the name of Vida K, and she sings in many, many different languages. Portuguese and Arabic, and it's going to be really a wonderful kind of array. She sings in a lot of different languages. So let me ask you an Alan troublemaking question. Okay. Here's an Alan troublemaking question. I signed up for this, so I'm ready. Suppose somebody says, oh, I like this. I think I'll do it myself. In other words, Gene yeah. has already given people their spots and everything else, and another busker shows up in town and says, oh, I'm going to busk. Can you stop them? The rogue busker. So it's funny you bring this up. You remember earlier I said that I called up all these busking organizers. Right. And that was the very first question I asked them. Really? I said, what do you do when somebody decides to just show up? And their answer was, be kind and say to them, listen, this was an application process. All these people have shown up. We'd appreciate it if you would play by the rules. And if it turns out that they add to the fun and we can find a place for them that doesn't disrupt, so be it. Find a place. Yeah. But what if? Yes. Here's an Alan auxiliary question. What if they say, oh, screw off. I have the right to do this. You don't own the streets. I'm doing it. Really, there's no way for us to prevent them. I'm not going to kick them off the street. Right. The nice thing here is there's a community of performers in this area. And I think the social pressure of seeing, and by the way, in each location, yes, there's going to be a sandwich board that shows the name of the band and where you can donate. There's going to be some 
sort of stanchions so the people see we're going to have some balloons. So you're going to know which are the official sanctioned locations. So even if you're a band that shows up, it's going to look obvious to everyone that you're actually muscling your way in where you really shouldn't be. Suppose, just suppose something ugly happens. I've seen it in Great Barrington, you know, candidates, stuff like that. Yeah. Somebody throws a punch because that's who they are. Are you equipped? I mean, do you have any kind of formalistic training of your own that can have you take them out? Personally, I will choose not to break up fights. I will <laughs> I will say that because the town has been supportive, I've already talked to the chief of police. Great new chief of police, Great by the way. Chief, and he couldn't have been happier. And he said, look, I'll give you the names of the patrolmen that'll be on duty. If you need our help, you let me know. So I think these are the kinds of things that every live event producer pays attention to. And there's really no way to absolutely prevent something bad from happening. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, we're going to hope. And again, I talked to all the busking organizations around the world. And, you know, all things being equal, I think we're going to have a fairly comfortable, fun-loving group. So, Gene Carr, I think you can get a book out of this. This is a terrific idea. Why don't you write it? How to set up a busking festival. So the idea is not lost on me. In fact... I've already been approached by some other organizations that say, look, could you help us? And so I'm, my answer is, this is very much what we call in the tech world, it's a proof of concept. We're going to do it. We're going to figure it out. We're going to make all the mistakes and fix all the mistakes and say to ourselves, don't do that again and do that again. And come September, we're going to look back and kind of sift through and package up all of our learnings and then figure out, okay, what can we do here? Is it a book? Is it a website? Is it a consulting company? I'm not sure. Say, Buskers International. From your mouth. <laughs> That's right. That's great. So when the summer ends, yeah. is there any possibility that because summer is over now, we can keep going for a while? Sure. I mean, there's an operational and logistics part to it. We're going to have a staff of people that are going to put the things out. And I mean, this is going to be a well-run event. We're going to sell t-shirts and all that stuff. Our infrastructure all goes away at the end of the summer. Having said that, will we be able in a sort of coda, if you will? Sure. Let's see how things go. But we're going to get to know lots and lots of groups. And, you know, it stays warm enough here in the Berkshires into September. I remember last summer playing in front of the triplex. And, you know, by the third week in August, as the sun sets, it gets a little chilly. So we'll see how it goes. Now, let me ask you this. Are you personally going to participate as a busker? I would like to. And my answer is there's a band that I play in, Marianne Palermo's band, and they're booked for a couple of nights. If things go swimmingly and if I have a team that knows what they're doing and if things seem to be cool, calm, and collected, I'm going to go and sit in and play. So let me give you another thing you have to worry about. Okay, now, when I was a young man, certainly many years ago, there I was on Fire Island, my friend, an Oberlin graduate named John Lipsky, they were putting up a new newspaper, and they decided they didn't like the old newspaper, and a whole bunch of people gave money to start this newspaper. Well, the editor, who was responsible, as you know, for what goes in the paper, yeah. His mother gave a party, and I was invited. Okay. At the party was a lady who came up to me and started screaming at me in front of everybody at that party that I had purposely left her garden party out of the paper. And I mean, she was in hysterics. Now, of course, as the publisher, so-called publisher of the paper, I was responsible for selling the ads and not much more going around. The editor was the guy who left it out. But she was a guest in his house, and she was not going to yell at him. I've never forgotten that. And I have a feeling there will be somebody who comes up to you and says, you didn't treat my son or daughter right. So your psychological skills are going to be at risk here. There's no doubt that that'll happen. In fact, listen, I already had an email exchange with a group that didn't get a slot in July, and they were very upset. And we offered them a slot you see? in August. And, you know. Yeah. But look, the difference between a newspaper and busking is that I don't have the constraints of space. In a newspaper, you have only so many column inches and so many ad slots. Here, can I find an extra slot for somebody? We could probably find a place. So I'm at least allowing myself to sleep at night, thinking that I could probably wriggle out of those unpleasant trees by solving it that way. Well, obviously, I don't want you sleeping at night. I don't want you worrying. And that's why I'm asking you all <laughs> Thanks so much. 
All these worrying questions. If this was a conversation just between us and your living, it would be fine. But, Alan, there's a few people listening here. No, really? <laughs> okay. So $75, you've got all of that covered yes, already. Yes, correct. People are going to get that $75. The question is, you never know what's going to happen at one of these things. Somebody may end up being discovered. We can only cluster. hope. Yeah. We can uh, we can hope. Look, I, I, I'm going to go Do back. Do you get a percentage is my question. No. <laughs> <laughs> so actually, I'll, I'll add to that. One of, the, uh, one of the things I learned from talking with the folks that produce all these busking sites is they said, look, and I know this as a performer, the number one thing we want to do is treat our performers well. And so even if they come and they play and they don't get a ton of tips, we want them to have a great experience. So I've partnered with the co-op. Upon arrival, every performer is going to get a bag that includes a box of water, a cliff bar, and an apple. And then at the end of their engagement, at least for the first couple of weeks, we've made an arrangement with one of the restaurants in town. 20 Railroad Street has a pizza place. Every performer is going to get a pizza and a drink, and hopefully they'll stay and they'll hang out back there and they'll meet each other in a kind of social environment. So we're hoping that the busker experience is a good one not only coming and playing, but also having some community amongst themselves. But how does the pizza place make out? Oh, I'm paying for the pizza. Oh, you're paying for the pizza. Now, about the discovery, I mean, I would love for people to be discovered. And beyond that, you know, this whole notion of live streaming changes the equation dramatically because you might have people standing on the street of Great Barrington. Yeah. But if we're on Instagram and we've got somebody on the camera... And somebody sees them. I mean, I follow right now. I follow a bunch of performers on Instagram now. And these are young players who I think are wonderful. And I'm going to watch their career. And I've discovered them on Instagram. Exactly how does that work? In other words, there are these public-type stations, right? And they're going to be playing the buskers. How it works is actually even simpler than that. Yes. So we have an Instagram site. We have a Facebook page. And all you need to do using the iPhone is you click the button that says broadcast live and suddenly like you and I are doing FaceTime. Does anybody have a broadcast live on their Instagram? On their, on their yes. Phone? Yes. It's a built-in feature to the product itself. I have that on yeah, this yeah, phone? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll show me Don't later. Do- okay. So now this is really interesting. Do you have to pay anybody for these rights? I'm no expert in the rights issues, but people do it right now. In fact, I'll tell you what, at the very end of the festival, I guess one of the big busking things that I haven't talked about is here in Boston and Faneuil Hall, there's busking. There's a community of buskers. Now, a lot of them are not the kind that we're going to see here. It's not so much singers and groups. There they have ventriloquists and they have people that twist themselves into pretzels and acrobats. But there's a really wonderful performer. She goes by Kate Great, Kate the Great. And she does handstands and she's a wonderful artist. And she's going to come in our last weekend. And I follow her on Instagram. And just coincidentally, I was looking on my phone, and I saw a live stream from the Salt Lake City Busker Festival. And I watched the end of her show from Salt Lake City, and it was was marvelous. Buskerism. (laughs) That's very best. Eugene Carr, Gene Carr, tell everybody where they can get in touch with you. Sure. So the best way is to go to BerkshireBusk.com. It's Berkshire, B-E-R-K-S-H-I-R-E-B-U-S-K, BerkshireBusk.com. We will have, if not by the time this airs, certainly shortly thereafter, the absolute schedule for the first five weeks, listing all of the performers. You can click and see which night you want to come. And we're keeping the locations a little bit secret. You're going to have to walk up and down the street to find them. We're going to have a printed guide, so you'll be able to see that when you get there. But just go to our website at Berkshire Busk, look on Instagram, search for Berkshire Busk, same thing on Facebook, same thing on Twitter. We even have a TikTok account, which... You're looking at me quizzically, but if you're under about 20, you will know what TikTok is all about. I know what it is, and how does it work? Yeah, so TikTok is a social media channel. It's video-driven, and we're going to post little clips of what we're doing on our TikTok account. Okay. Now, what's in it for you? That is an excellent question. On some level, I did this because it was a thing that I felt needed to be done. It was a pandemic. There was an opportunity. I talked to the town. They said, let's do this. And as an entrepreneur, when I get an idea, I'm like, I'm going to go for it. And I don't always have the absolute end result in mind. I just know that in my gut, it's going to lead to something great. 
So what's in it for me, a little bit centers on what you asked earlier, which is, why don't you write a book? Why don't you do some consulting? Why don't you help other towns? I believe in my heart that I hope that this not only will be successful, but I hope that we're going to learn enough that we can help other towns transform their downtowns, create economic activity, create arts. You know, this is all about essentially using the arts to create economic activity, which has really been one of the things that's been at the heart of everything that I've done and thought about in my career. And so what's in it for me is I want to make it happen. Of course, I love Great Barrington. And so I've been looking for years at a way that I as a citizen here can make a difference. And so that's kind of what's driving me. And then we'll see what comes out of it afterwards. And, and we'll see what opportunities surface. I generally find opportunities come to you when you put yourself out there. You are somebody who went to Overland College, and you're very proud of it, as you should be. Maybe you should be given an honorary doctorate for what you're doing. <laughs> well, I'm very close to the folks at Oberlin, and I've had, as you mentioned— Folks meaning the people who are running it. The administration of Oberlin. They know me well. I've been involved with a bunch of alums who also are entrepreneurs at creating an entrepreneurial pitch competition and boot camp for students. And what's come out of it is something really marvelous. I've been working as a mentor and a coach— and I'm now on the board of a startup in Pakistan that's trying to create a very easy way for businesses in Pakistan to get on the internet because the internet in Pakistan is not like the internet here. Everybody in Pakistan, most of the way people do business is by cash. Nobody even has credit cards. So this young man has created a web company to try to empower small businesses to create websites, very inexpensive. Anyway, it's been a, a really wonderful experience coming right out of my Oberlin. So, you know, you can call them and tell them about the degree, but I've found a way to situate myself as an alum giving back to Oberlin in this really unique entrepreneurial way. How important was Oberlin to you? It was transformative. So after I went to high school in Juilliard, I applied, and this, is, this was a big deal. I applied to go to college at Juilliard, and I got in. And I, I remember getting that application. And my cello teacher, who was a wonderful, wonderful man, he said to me as I was thinking about applying, and then I got in, and I got into Oberlin, and I had visited Oberlin, and I had friends at Oberlin, and I loved it there. And the idea of going away from New York and being on yeah. a college campus, it just it was magical. Yeah. And my cello teacher looked at me, and he said, you can always turn Juilliard down. Very few people do, but yeah. you can. And I did. And I went to Oberlin, and it was just the most marvelous combination. In made... that conservatory. So you... Oberlin has a double degree program. Yes. I was enrolled over five years in the College of Arts and Sciences. I got a degree in history. And in the Conservatory of Music, I got a degree in cello. So I did five years, earned two undergraduate degrees. And then I ran the radio station, and I started a touring program, and I played in a group. I mean, I did a lot of stuff. I think Oberlin made me who I am because it allowed me to flex my business and my musical and my entrepreneurial muscles. And some of those muscles are being exercised right here in Great Barrington this summer. Speaking of which, how did you find Great Barrington? Well, you know, if you're a musician on the East Coast and you play cello, you know about Tanglewood. And my cello teacher... I should hope so. We play every Tanglewood concert. My cello teacher was a former member of the Boston Symphony. And he had a house in Stockbridge Bowl. And so my folks would come up with me in the summertime. This was in the Seiji Ozawa years. And I would hear concerts at Tanglewood. And, and I, so I knew the area. And then when I got into the orchestra management business in my 20s, right out of college, I was producing concerts at Carnegie Hall. A lot of my friends got jobs. And one of my closest friends got jobs at Tanglewood. And so I would come up in the summer and my friends would be working backstage at Tanglewood. And so... This area kind of seeped its way in. And then as I started a tech company, and I'll tell you, in this world of remote tech, and everybody knows about Zoom, our company, Patron Technology, we were fully remote seven years ago. And so we were running this remote company. I thought, well, heck, I can be anywhere. Why not be in the Berkshires? So I migrated myself here and you know, I ran back and forth to New York City. But it's been a marvelous sort of evolution as a musician to end up right here in this wonderful place. Now, we are running out of time, but yep. I wanted to ask you, you managed a couple of orchestras. What were the orchestras? So the, the main orchestra that I spent most of my career was the American Symphony Orchestra. Is that Leon Botstein? Yes. So Leon and I worked together in his, when he first got the job, this was another entrepreneurial experience. 
The board of the American Symphony had named Leon as music director when it was facing kind of financial hardship. And I was introduced to Leon and I met him and I thought, this is a really interesting, creative, entrepreneurial musician and leader. And he and I worked together for five years very intensely. And we did some very, in those days, very innovative things around programming, most of which Leon has continued. The Bard Festival hadn't even been created then. So I had a really wonderful, creative and innovative experience working with Leon, building that orchestra up. And, and so I, that was my main orchestra experience. Did you ever fight with him? With Leon? Leon is one of the most extraordinary people. His range of emotion is from both ends of the spectrum. But boy, we had a, we had a great time. We toured Korea. We toured Japan. We did recordings. Um, as with any relationship, things can get intense, which they did. But it was, it was just an amazing experience. Well, Gene Carr, we are delighted to have had this conversation with you. Is there any last question which I should have asked you that you would have liked me to ask? No, actually, you asked a few I didn't want you to. <laughs> no, I think the last thing I'd say is, look, this is a big social experiment to create a new experience here in the Berkshires called Berkshire Busk here in Great Barrington from the first weekend in July, July 2nd and 3rd, Friday and Saturday night, all the way to Labor Day. We hope that people will come and you'll experience it, bring a few dollars to tip the musicians, and let's see if we can't create something really extraordinary this summer. What a delight to have you here and to finally get to know you a little bit. This is terrific. We've been in conversation with Eugene Carr, the festival director of Berkshire Busk, that's with a K Busk, a new 10-weekend summer street music and arts festival in Great Barrington, my hometown, starting July 2nd and going every Friday and Saturday night until Labor Day weekend. You can learn more at www.berkshirebusk, B-U-S-K. It's all one word, berkshirebusk.com. In the house all year, out of food and out of beer. I got to make some money and I got to hear them cheer. Yeah. I got to hit the road, say goodbye to the COVID. So long, COVID. Bye, COVID. Get out of here. So I'm heading on down to the gig of the year. Well, busking, that What's is. Busking? You know, I don't know, the great outdoors. Cat sham tips. Like trees. I've always liked the great outdoors. Berkshire busk, Berkshire busk. Celebrating freedom in the mountain dusk. Dancing on the corner, singing all around. You've been listening to Dr. Alan Shartok, President and CEO of WAMC Northeast Public Radio and Professor Emeritus at the University at Albany. For more information on the In Conversation with Alan series or to order additional copies of this or any interview in the series, call 1-800-323-9262 or visit us on the web at wamc.org.